house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Nominees for Best Animated Short Film. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse. The Flying Sailor. Ice Merchants. My Year of Dicks. And an ostrich told me the world is fake and I think I believe it. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Bus podcast, the only podcast with a whole year of dicks. Mm. Every week on This Had Oscar Bus, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we're here to perform the autopsy, except this episode, we are doing our annual autopsy on an entire Oscar season. It is the class of 2022. This is your commencement speech. (laughs) May I have attention of the class? Yeah, Yeah, uh, I'm your host, Chris File. I'm here, as always, uh, with my ostrich that told me the world is fake, Joe Reed. (laughs) We just got to get this out of the way, because... I'm probably going to be a sourpuss this episode more than I would like to be. So I wanted sure. to start us up off the top. We have to thank, uh, not thank, thank, <laughs> uh, well, thank for, uh, her service. Her yeah. Industry, thanks. Her mind. Yes. Uh, friend, former guest, and now Oscar nominee, Pamela Ribbon. Pam. Nominated for Best Animated Short for My Year of Dicks. I can't tell you. Pam is obviously a longtime wonderful friend of mine. And we'll also go ahead and spoil it. We won't yeah. spoil the episode, but uh, we have Pam on next She's week. Gonna be and here it'll next be week. the conversation we have speculating that yeah. she could be a nominee. Um, yes. I'm so glad, not only just so happy for her, but I'm glad that we won't have a sad episode where the surreality of it, where we recorded an episode with Pam just before the nominations were announced, and it will be released just after the nominations were announced. And in the interim, I was I was kind of petrified that we were gonna jinx the Pam's nomination. And I had a good feeling. Yeah. Well it's like <laughs> listeners it's it's maybe one of the most joyful episodes we've ever done. Enterprising listeners can try to deduce what movie we're talking about. But, yeah. like, I was just in that call, like, on top of Pam being incredible, just, like, I mean, if she was, t- like, you know, doing Q&As for this movie or yeah. interviews for this movie. Did we mention it's my year of dicks? Did we mention that? I I just to just if we haven't she's nominated my year best of dicks, my year of dicks best year animated dicks. short in uh, my year of dicks the movie that made Riz Ahmed pause and chuckle and if I ever in my life made Riz Ahmed pause and chuckle I would uh, <laughs> uh, die contented. I really hope that at some like type of party or I don't know maybe Riz Ahmed will go to the nominee luncheon just for shits and giggles that. Pam gets to meet Riz Ahmed and be like, hello. I I have faith in this to happen. I also just think that because of that moment and because the title is so distinctive, I think 
I'm hopeful too that like at things like the nominees luncheon, like people will want to like, you know, come up to Pam and talk to her. And um who you know listen, we Kate Blanchett clearly Kate Blanchett's got an opinion on a movie called My Year of Dicks, and I just want to know <laughs> what that ends up being. Uh I guarantee you, Pam, if you're listening, you are going to get high fived by Jamie Lee Curtis at some point between now and March twelfth, is all I'm gonna say. <laughs> just a big old high five. I can see it coming. So Listeners, when the shorts are playing at a theater near you, go out and support them. Not just Pam Short in the uh, animated uh, yeah. short lineup, but also go short support the documentaries and support the, the shorts. shorts. Support the but shorts, definitely. TM, uh, go, support, go support Pam. I can't yes. talk this. <laughs> it's because you're go so support dis- Japan. Support your shorts. Um, support your shorts with Pam. <laughs> Now you're just Elizabeth Ashley. Yes, that really was me, Elizabeth Ashley. And then I lost 25 pounds in only 12 weeks on the Ultra Slim Pass plan. <laughs> That's all I've ever wanted out of this podcast. Um, you're discombobulated because we've been through a week of Oscar nominations. I'm sure by the time, by Monday when this episode airs, there's going to be a whole level that we aren't even able to unpack today as we're recording this episode. This is the thing. Uh, if you're if you're tuning in to hear us uh, unpack the Andrea Riseborough to Leslie situation, we can't yet because we don't know what the fallout of all of this is. Things are developing. Okay. I... Much like our class of 2021 episode was our House of Gucci episode because Indeed. we got that makeup Indeed. nomination. Indeed. This is our To Leslie episode, which... We're throwing it's so this episode unfortunate because I would have loved for our first 2022 movie to be to Leslie. Like, we could have talked about this in a way that's fun. And, like, it's... Yeah. Because, like, when the nomination happened and the context of how it happened, yes. it just... It was a... Like, I was soon excited as it happened, for an Andrea Riseborough nomination. And, like, I just yeah. wasn't excited. It's a fucking bummer, man. Like, the whole... The way everything shook out. And now that there's this whole thing going on where the Academy is reviewing it and everybody has already convinced themselves that her nomination is going to be rescinded. Which and it won't. I doubt it will. It won't. Like, I mean... Yeah. And even if it does, like egg on our face, if by the time this episode it's rescinded, but it won't like, even if it does people like people assume that either Danielle Deadweiler or Viola Davis is going to get slotted in instead. First of all, people have already forgotten alone yet. Not alone. I'm willing to bet the Gary's have not forgotten. (laughs) So yeah, well, when we talked about the, the Andrea Riceboro flash campaign, uh, when uh, Mitchell Beaupre was on with for After Hours, we were in the thick of it. We were having fun with it. It was a good, fun time. I think had the nomination happened in a vacuum, I still would have been like, "This is some wild shit." All I yeah, ever want out of the Oscar like, nomination. Cool that you know. Also, it... in the interim, I had watched the movie. It's not a bad movie, and it's a good performance. I think it's a. I mean, I think it's all quite I, a good I haven't been able to watch it yet, but I hear it's a good performance. But from people like us who are familiar with her work and like think that she's amazing, they're like, it's not like it's a top five Andrea Riseborough performance. Like, so it it's pretty good. Kind of adds I will say the arbitrariness of it. Like, I think it's pretty good, and I can see why actors would really like it. But as soon as it happened, and of course, you know, I keep my little nerd list, which is alphabetized by actor. So by the time 
Ana de Armas. See, here is okay. So here's my experience. Yeah. This is the nerdiest thing. I'm following down my checklist. Kate Blanchett, Tar, top of the alphabet, check. The next nomination read is Ana de Armas. On my list, Ana de Armas was listed below Viola Davis and Danielle Deadweiler, alphabetical. Alphabetical. And so I checked off Ana de Armas, and and this is how quickly my mind goes when I when I go through these. I immediately was like, oh shit, because I was like, Deadweiler, no, Davis, no. But then my mind was like, maybe they're alphabetizing it differently because it's Da Armas, like you know what I mean? Like there's a there's a right, space like there. it's a a Mick or a Mac. So right, so in my mind, I'm like, all is not lost. This could still be fine. Their alphabetizing could just be different than mine. And then the next name read is Andre Riseborough. At which point, my brain goes in twelve different directions. One of which being, holy shit, it happened. One of which being, oh no, Danielle Deadweiler and Viola Davis were snubbed. And my mm-hmm. next thought immediately was like. Oh no, the discourse is going to be such a fucking nightmare for the next several I mean weeks. like I uh, let's at least unpack like the feel the sense in the nominations because this is why it's like so much of we what we have to talk about today is a fucking bummer and it sucks and like I would point our listeners towards uh Robert Daniels's great piece in the LA Times for like all of the shit that like why this sucks and sure. what it kind of represents and I mean, like, all of our listeners, like, we love you guys, and, like, I'm happy that you're enthusiastic that we get to talk about Nope at some point. But, like, I don't want to do an episode on Nope. I want Nope to get nominations. Like, I know that we have this moment every time we do one of these things where it's like, we don't want to do a Hustlers episode. We want Jennifer Lopez nominated. And it's like... The other thing, though, and, like, I appreciate you shouting out the, the LA Times article, which is well worth a read. The thing with this stuff is it is both broad in scope and yet also incredibly situational, right? The same year where Viola Davis and Danielle Deadweiler are snubbed, we have a record year for uh, Asian actresses and Asian American actresses. We have nominations for Angela Bassett, a breakthrough nomination for Brian Tyree Henry. Like, there are, there's... Everything is very situational, and this Best Actress category specifically is incredibly situational with a lot of moving parts. One mm-hmm. of, you know, only one of which is this Andrea Riseborough uh, campaign. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I think the the trends of this, I think I can look at it, I can silver lining it a little bit with the caveat that. All we want, because here's my whole thing is you can't legislate taste. You cannot legislate taste. You can't try as we might. We can't force people to have the taste that we wish that they did and to prefer the films and performances that we wish that they did. All we can ask for is a plethora of opportunity and a plethora of films that represent a diverse set of talent and uh, points of view and whatever. And the fact that there were a lot of movies in the ecosystem of award season this year that did represent that we had a lot of choices, right? Mm-hmm. Woman King, we're going to talk about a lot of them uh, in this episode. And in addition to movies like Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which got nominated, and Everything Everywhere All at Once, which got nominated, and Causeway, and things like that. I think the fact that this year it shook out that there were so many movies f- featuring black talent and black filmmakers that 
fell short, but were still very much part of the conversation in general. A sucks because so many of them were really good. Mm-hmm. Nope. And the woman like, King. That's what's so great about uh, Robert Daniels's article because it's like it's so widespread. Like the thing that I keep getting hung up on is Saint Omer not getting in international because it's like movies, especially that are featuring black women, were everywhere and like and like. It's it, it is incredibly frustrating. But again, the situationalness I come back to, which is like international feature is wonky every year and it's wonky in its yeah. own way every year. But I also feel like as much as it sucks and this like year, this lineup in the international feature could not reflect yeah. a more basic taste. It's not like, a great international feature. I say that as not, not having seen like, most of the movies yet, but I trust your judgment. But my but the thing just to close the loop of what I was saying, though, is the fact that there were so many movies on the outskirts of this Oscar race is at least encouraging to me if we can keep that kind of volume going forward. We're not going to have, like, again, taste is subjective and taste is situational. We're n- if, if we can keep having the volume of movies in play mm-hmm. this isn't going to happen every year i like i i really I think really you're right don't think so. i would say it's less it's not taste that you can't legislate but like they have to look at their the academy at large i think should look at their behavior because like i think this is partly why best actress like is so for like it, I understand people who don't under like uh, understand or follow or know you know the Academy procedure for the nomination process, but like when you look at that Best Actress lineup and you look at Anna de Armas next to Andrea Riseborough, it reflects like two of the worst Academy behaviors. That it's like sure, you're yep. probably never going to get them to change that, but you can get them to change the movies that they're considering in that way, and if they did they might have gotten in either and viola davis danielle deadwire sure. because anna de armas to me reflects a nomination that is always going to happen even if they don't nominate the movie the set in stone nomination years ago yeah, yeah that yeah, she yeah. would be nominated for that performance and it reflects tendencies like you know overvaluing people who play real people over, mm-hmm. you know, over-determining who the breakthrough ingenue is going to be, that kind of a thing. I agree with She's that. She's nominated against Michelle Williams, who also had the same thing happen to her for the same person. Right. <laughs> for playing I, the same person. Yes. And then Andrea Riseborough, it reflects, you know, we're going to nominate the people who are our friends, who, you know, maybe we share an agent, like that type of thing that feels like this is my thing about the Andrea Riseborough thing. I, it, it, that's not what a grassroots campaign, that's not grassroots. Like it's, uh, it's business I, as usual. It's just a I movie don't, that I don't didn't agree. have the ecosystem behind it. Like, I don't, I don't entirely agree with you there. I think the thing with the two, I think, how I when I hear like grassroots campaign leading to a nomination, I think more of like what happened with Drive My Car, which like okay, was... but you say that because it ref- it it originated from critics and people in our sphere, and it was this like kind of slow build. Like I think 
I don't know. I think the Andrea Riseboro thing could have happened at any time in the past, and this just happens to be the first time it happened. Even in Rebecca Ford's great reporting in Vanity Fair, like she gets a quote from a publicist is like, yeah, this is not abnormal. People have tried to do this before. This just worked. I'm looking at it from the perspective of the people who put in the work to make these movies, and you run up against the brick wall of we don't have the funding, we don't have the support from our studio, we don't have the ability to get in front of people's faces. And, like, the specifics of this and the specifics of these sort of, like, phone tree, Mary McCormick, Francis Fisher, you know, copy-paste, overly determined, like, your mom and her her sister's email chain before Christmas kind of a nature of all of this, right? Is is weird and it looks uncool and it looks, you know, lame. But I also feel like if the impetus is the art the people the artists themselves and their fellow actors <laughs> taking a increasingly unwieldy financial and promotional situation for their movies into their own hands and being like, well, if the studio doesn't have money to uh, to finance this campaign, then we're going to run our own whip organization, operation. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's just like, we are mm-hmm. going to whip the votes ourselves. And ultimately, votes and nominations and stuff like this equals attention. This More people are going to see to Leslie now, for good or ill, than they were going to before. And oh, yeah. I'm sure it's VOD business like quadrupled what the box office take was while the campaigning was and ultimately for good or ill i think that's i think that's ultimately good because more people should see more movies more people should see more and like it's it's not the only movie that this should happen for this should happen for so many other movies but like that's why we do what in terms of the academy is like like good on them for getting them to actually watch this movie if they actually did before voting for her. I'm not so convinced they actually watched Blonde before voting for Anadarmas. <laughs> um because I mean we were stupid to think that, you know, the movie itself would prevent that nomination for I really most of did. the season. It, you know, that it didn't matter if they saw the movie or not. I will um, say and I think I shouted it out at the time when the Golden Globe Awards happened and both Gerard Carmichael and Colin Farrell gave kind of like defiant statements of support for Ana de Armas' performance. Yeah, it performance. was like, yeah, this is I was done. like, oh, She's, that's the temperature. That's what's going on. Okay, and like that gave me a lot of pause. So yeah, um, let's let's talk about the current situation though. Okay, there is an investigation happening with the Academy that rules were break broken in yeah. terms of how this was campaigned. The, this has happened in the past. You know, the Alone Yet Not Alone situation, that nomination was rescinded because that nominee, the nominee who was a, like, member of the board of the branch was emailing people in the branch yeah. saying, listen to and vote for our song. Yeah, That is right. against their rules. Like, right. if you want to say it's barely different than, you know, sending out a screener, I understand that perspective, but I, the rule yeah. is the rule. Yeah. Um, and then you also have, there was someone else that I saw that I had never heard of before that had a similar investigation 
But also the one I go back to is Nicholas Chartier, one of the producers on The Hurt Locker, also was emailing asking for people to vote. Yeah. And and that was after the nomination, too. I thought I thought it was something along the lines of him saying, vote for us, not Avatar. <laughs> um, but he was he I, I could be wrong about that, but yeah. he was emailing and he got his. I guess nomination. He was taken off of the Hurt Locker right. nominees, right? Um, but Hurt Locker didn't lose its nomination. Here's the thing: I don't understand how it would work for an actor, even though Andrea Riseborough is a producer on the movie. Yeah, I don't think anything that we have seen suggests that Andrea Riseborough was contacting people and saying, right. "Vote for me." Right. To the contrary, everything I saw was say was in support of the movie, trying to get people to see the fucking movie. Right. Like, we know what it means when it happens during the season, but, like, if the rule is you can't say vote for my movie, I don't think she did that. And, like, we're both in agreement that nothing's going to come of this. Right. The only, the one thing is, honestly, and we've joked about Francis Fisher before, it does feel like Francis Fisher was the tone-deaf one. Because the Francis Fisher part of it, is really funny. Francis Fisher getting so intense about this and legitimately being, thus far that we've seen, the one person to actually be like, here's how many first place votes we need to make this happen. Here are the actresses she named... Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh and Viola Davis and Daniel Deadweiler and being like these four are locks anyway. Vote yeah. for there's if you rules vote for against for members first. talking about the competition yeah. and such of like who could be not yeah like yeah it seems like Francis Fisher actually did broke a rule. However, I had never heard that that was a rule or read that that was a rule. And I'm willing so to bet like, that she didn't How is Francis either? Fisher going to know? And it's not right. like she's being nefarious. It's just like Facebook mom behavior. <laughs> what, hot, that's what I literally, that's what I was saying before. Yes, it's Facebook mom behavior. It's 100% Facebook mom behavior. And is honestly, it white feminism Facebook mom? Like, we could have that debate. It's separate because sure. I think it's just funny. That I do too. Francis Fisher might be the person getting in trouble having nothing to do with the nomination. Here's, also, like, it just has to be said, if they broke the rules and this nomination hadn't happened, yeah. n- nothing would have been heard about them right. breaking the rules. Right. And also, I think nobody stepped in at the time to say, hey, you might be breaking a rule because no one thought the nomination was going to happen. And then yes. also... No one intervened while it was happening to say, hey, guys, we might be breaking a rule. And this is why you yeah. have PR teams and campaigns behind yeah. actual uh, award strategies. Like, and you have award strategies because they will tell you, you can't say this. Right. You can't do this. Like, It almost feels like registered lobbyists, right? Like, awards PR right. campaign teams feel like registered lobbyists who will follow the letter of the law and, like, do it. And, like, but to me, that seems like... No, no purer a system. You know what I mean? Like the system that it is now doesn't feel any purer. And it's a system that has benefited, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a great many people. Here's the other thing that I'm just going to say to our listenership, to people out there, because the tenor and the tone of the conversation about this is irking me in as much as it's turning Andrea Riseborough, this actress who has done nothing but like, give really good performances in largely small movies. This, like, meme factor of 
you know, trash actress who has taken, you know, something that doesn't belong to her, whatever like that. And now she's sort of like shorthand for this level of like, to me, annoying vitriol. And I think a lot of it comes from the fact that most people had no idea who this woman's name was. And she's only really known to this sort of like cadre, specific cadre of like people who are really into movies and actresses and and like kind of like deep down the rabbit hole. And all I want to do to, you know, the wonderful, particularly like aggressively tweeting homosexuals who may be in our listenership is imagine <laughs> that this happened on behalf of like Mia Goth and Pearl, who y'all love so oh, much. Oh, fuck off. Okay, but but most people don't think about that movie the way you and I think about that right. movie. Most people really love that. And if this happened on behalf movie. of Mia Goth and Pearl and that nomination happened, you'd have been death dropping all the way to the bank. So it's like <laughs> just 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 perspective is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Right. I, I, I hear what you're saying and who you're trying to speak to. I I mean I will say if I'm going to vent about something. The level of people who see as many movies or more than we do and write about movies, etc., that I have seen performatively being like, I've seen so many movies where I didn't even realize that was Andrea Riseborough or it's gone I, too far. Face I saw this movie and I thought that far. was Andrea Riseborough and yeah. it was someone else. You are telling on yourself, you do this professionally. Yeah. Maybe keep that to yourself we, if you can't tell who an joke is. about or you Sienna don't Miller. look something up and see, oh, this yeah. is the cast list of Andrea Riseborough's in it. Like, yes. We all joke about Sienna Miller face blindness, and we've all had a very fun time with it. And, like, I have once or twice not recognized Sienna Miller for a while into a movie. It's not something I should be particularly proud of. And it's also, like, at some point it does become, as you say, performative right it's right. it becomes uh performative but not a joke where it's just like i've just seen so many straight men that are like oh well i don't even know who she is and it's like yeah. it feels like it's a comment on her as an actress and a comment on yeah. the movies she's in and it's yeah. like we get it she doesn't do stuff for you right like, shut up right um i agree so all i'm just i'm begging for uh a little perspective be less annoying out there, everybody. Just be a little bit less annoying. Is all I'm asking. That's all. Um, and we'll see. We'll see as this develops. I think we both agree that uh, there will not be a nomination rescinded. Um, I we are also in agreement that like everybody's talking about how so many people are going to try to do this next year, and it's like this is never going to work for anyone ever again. I almost it's just hope not. Everybody now that it's does. worked for someone. It's never going to happen. If everybody tries to do this next year, for one thing, it'll be a wash because, like, if everybody's doing it, then nobody has an advantage. And the other thing is, everyone's going to get so annoyed by all of the text messages and chain uh, Instagrams or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. they're going to absolutely, like, you're going to reach a saturation point real quickly. Well, people are just going to tune you out. And, And I think that'll be the end of it. I think... At the most, this is going to end up, because I think the Academy has egg on their face, and so they are going to now make some cosmetic changes to the rules, and that will be the legacy of this. They're going to... It shouldn't be that they have egg on their face, though, because of this very small movie. Like, you can talk about how connected it actually was in actuality, but, like, I don't know. Like, 
you know, if it's supposed to be celebrating all of cinema and all of the ecosystem, do you know how many movies are made at yeah. the level of to Leslie that yeah. like never get any eyeballs? So it's like, why not take the opportunity to, yeah. I don't know. I agree. Now that we're here. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now that we're here, at least, you know, maybe this will get people to see this movie. Anyway, we should get into the actual uh, class of 2022 because I think it is a unusually, I think in the couple of years past, especially dealing with, you know, pandemic years, we were sort of struggling to fill out a list of movies that we wanted to you know even talk we have about. like annual categories that we do every year yeah and i've realized at this point of us doing this for what five years now yeah that we could maybe revise these names it's funny that uh, we they all still have I very like, like that 2018 names yes <laughs> which is like kind of fun but i don't yeah. know maybe tradition maybe, is like, important chris listen uh if the oscars teach us anything it's the tradition has value okay um I do like the categories, but also as we talk about the categories, I have like winners in all of these quote unquote winners, but also like runners up in a way that will allow us to talk about more movies because there really are like upwards of like a couple dozen movies that um, are worth at least mentioning. And I think in the years ahead, we are going to have a sort of bumper crop of really interesting uh, podcast episodes to talk about. So right. if you thought we were, the well was drying up. That we will try to not be again. like, it's a bummer that we're here talking about it. Right. We'll get over it. Like ultimately, serves. ultimately I was just listening to our um, Hustlers episode uh, recently. And I was like, for a movie that none of us wanted to have to, you know, be eligible. We had a ball talking about that one and did our widows episode and stuff like that. So like, you know, we, we compartmentalize, we soldier on. All right, so All right. Uh, let's get into let's get into some categories. Let's do it. Uh, our first category yes. will uh, spare uh, some Schadenfreude. Uh, <laughs> it is our Cake Memorial Prize for Happiest Miss. Yes, the movie we are most happy is not an Oscar nominee. I think we're probably going to be in sync on this one. Uh, this is a movie that I was sort of bracing for a surprise but i how surprised could i have been a nomination for this and that is the sun i was bracing ah, myself my i knew i would um i was bracing myself for hugh jackman to crash the best actor party and and really annoy me i was over the moon happy that paul mescal got the fifth the perceived fifth slot in Best Actor. Uh, that was After Sun's only nomination. If After Sun had made uh, this list of Class of 22, I would be real annoyed. And I'm glad that The Sun did. I'm not relishing <laughs> doing an episode on it, but it will force me to watch the movie because I thus far have not. I have not. It's It's the rare movie in this age of Everybody has an opinion, and you'll find a contrary opinion on just about anything. I have not seen a single person take up the cause that the sun is good, actually. So, and that's rare. That's like, that's genuinely I rare. have. Have you really? Oh, okay. I okay. have. And I was like, you don't have to do this. Like, <laughs> who is this for? Uh, Hugh Jackman is never going to fuck you. Uh... <laughs> you have seen yeah. this movie. It's as bad uh, it's as the they worst say. movie of 2022. Yeah. See, that's this Period. is sort of this is this is the more common opinion. That's it's so much so that I would say 
and I'm sure because I literally just the words that just came out of my mouth, our listeners would want us to do this movie. Yeah, I would really not relish watching this movie again. <laughs> this is why I didn't watch it the first time. I was I was waiting for uh, in one way or another to have to. So it's hard to even dog on in like a haha funny way. Yeah. It is not the collateral beauty all around you. It yeah. is. It's time. <laughs> Listen, we are going to end up having to do it though, Chris. And you're just going to we'll, we will we will honor your sacrifice. <laughs> my well, you give yours and then I'll and I'll talk about my runner up cuz your your choice might end up being mine. Uh I'm probably going to make you mad at me with my backup choice. Ugh. My backup choice is The Menu. I understand oh, I that it is a movie fine. that a lot of people like. I feel like it wasn't funny enough, certainly wasn't scary or thrilling enough, wasn't biting enough to really be much of anything. And I think I felt I I had similar issues between this and Infinity Pool, but I also had other. We'll talk about that on our. Yeah, I haven't seen Infinity Pool yet. Yeah. I don't really think that this was a movie that was much of anything. Hong Chao has a few good lines in the movie. Yeah. And yet I still feel like there wasn't enough of her there wasn't enough developed with her it i was surprised that it was originally supposed to be done by someone by alexander payne because like as far as satire goes it's not there's not a lot of there there to this movie i thought and like i understand a lot of people had a good time with it and maybe came in with lower expectations than i had but like yeah I don't know if it's really saying... It's not that I don't think it's saying anything special. I don't think it's really saying anything. See, I think there's nothing but there there in terms of, like, uh, social satire. I think that's kind of all it's doing. I like the menu. I don't like it as much as some people like it. I Every time I talk about the menu, I'm like, I like it. And then I go on for 10 minutes sort of, like, picking apart the things that I didn't like about it. It's one of those... Oh, I thought movies. you liked it more than that. No, I I think, you know, I think it's a good time and it... It's a movie that ended up reaching a audience that it's not like it didn't make a ton of money, but I feel like more people that I know saw it in a way that like were, you know, reaching out to see something beyond just the, you know, yeah. the blockbuster and stuff like that. So I'm glad it reached an audience like that. I think it, I think most of the people I talked to, uh, who are not super, super like hardcore into, uh, you know, movies and like, and, and critics and stuff like that tended to really like it. I, like you, wish it were scarier. I wanted it at some point to just sort of like kick in and actually be a real horror movie rather than or just like stop wasting a the movie cast, of ideas. Like... Um, I do wish the cast had all had gotten more to chew on. I, I th- did think it was pretty funny. I thought, I thought the comedy was, was not my problem with it. I think it has some interesting ideas. And I wanted more from it, but I didn't hate it. I, I, you know, a solid B minus kind of a movie for me. All right, let's move along then. Uh, well, I just want to throw in up. my my because we oh. probably won't get a chance to talk about it in my other categories. Oh maybe yeah, we won't. Um, my runner up here was the Good Nurse. Be, for mostly, I think the Good the Good Nurse is a pretty <laughs> specifically for that nomination, right? I think the Good Nurse is a pretty good movie, and I think Eddie Redmayne gives a good performance in it. But I'm glad that he didn't get that nomination, just because I'm glad that other people did. Mm-hmm. And 
ultimately i'm i'm happier knowing that brian tyree henry for causeway gets in for that mm-hmm. nomination instead but like i'm not an eddie redmayne hater in general i think the good nurse is a pretty solid movie uh especially for like a netflix movie that tends to that you know the implication there was just like this is just another one of those like throw it in a bucket no one's gonna hear about it anymore movies yeah like, it looks like a real movie yeah. whereas a lot of netflix movies look like dog shit netflix movies. yeah yeah um so i think red main's good i think chastain's good i think it's a solid little movie that i'm fine with not being an oscar nominee yeah yeah I guess if we're throwing we're, we're throwing out more, another one of my follow-ups to this would have been Moon Age Daydream, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. made that documentary shortlist. And, like, Brett Morgan is... Like, I feel bad saying this because Brett Morgan is notoriously, like, Overlooked. Uh, snubbed at yeah. last minute there uh, um, within this branch in that category. Mm-hmm. Moon Age Daydream is... I understand what people thought they got out of it. I felt kind of the complete opposite of, like... People were like, but this isn't, you know, standard musician biopic. It's different. It's like, it's like, okay, so there's some swirling imagery in it. It is only him speaking. But I was like, this is still pretty standard music biopic fair every in a time documentary just because they do it a little differently didn't make it any more interesting and like the more i thought about it after i left that movie i was like this kind of falls apart for me every time i would hear people talk about moon age daydream all i would want to do was recommend they watch todd haynes's velvet underground documentary which i loved i mean which i loved and which i would have loved to have been nominated last year yeah velvet underground is fantastic and does the opposite yeah. <laughs> of like the standard music biopic documentary type yeah. thing um yeah don't love moon age daydream and i love bowie yeah um all right let's move to the next uh category though yes speaking of pam this is not only our to leslie episode this is our you know let's celebrate pam ribbon episode in 100 uh as will next week be uh the justice for slaughter race for our saddest miss the yes. movie that we are most sad was not an oscar nominee uh, I mean, yes. I'm, no I lo- secret for me, and I will be stealing yours. It is nope. I think it you are is stealing a mine, yeah. fucking bummer. Yeah. That and it sucks and it's shitty that we are having the same conversation again about a Jordan Peele movie. Us, I can kind of understand more. Yeah. Even though, like, definitely, if, if you look beyond the Lupita performance in that movie, which is like mostly what we talked about as a potential nominee in that episode. Like, Us is a more violent movie. Like, I don't understand how Nope doesn't have a nomination somewhere. I really thought that it would happen. Like, why is it not a visual effects nominee or a sound nominee or a cinematography nominee? Everybody behind this movie, it is, like, the most talented and incredible craftspeople working in Hollywood. The movie is shot by Hoyt von Hoytema. Like... How that nomination not happening is crazy to me. I've mentioned this I before. I mean, like, the Oscars have nominated movies like Twister that, like, this movie belongs somewhat alongside of. So it's like you can't really say genre well, and for you this know, movie. Because, like, Independence Day got Oscar nominations. Armageddon got Oscar nominations. Like You know my theory for costume design, where movies that are about costumes have a better chance of getting nominated in costume design. This is a movie... Anna ab- Harris, you will always be famous. This is a movie about cinematography, in at least a little bit of a way. 
And and I don't necessarily subscribe to the theory that I saw batted around this week that like Nope hit too close to home and and Hollywood producers didn't like what Nope was saying about the movie business so they punished it for it. I'm like, I don't think that's I it. Just, I, I don't think I it's feel that like deep. it's kind of the opposite and like this is one of the things that really depresses me about this movie and like makes me happy that the menu is not rewarded is like I feel like Everything has to be so obvious about what it's doing, and Nope is incredibly subtle, and it's nuanced, and it's like, it's been unpacked to shit, so, like, everybody it's talks about what it's about, but, like, it. yeah. it's not on the surface of that movie. Like, what that movie is about is not, like, shove down your throat and beat into your head with a hammer. Yeah. And I feel like that's what people want right now, and that's what's getting rewarded, and yeah. I find the lack of appreciation for nuance to be depressing. <laughs> the other thing is, and this is a thing that you and Katie and I have talked about in group text. Um, I should just say talked about in group, like we're in group therapy. I think that would be funnier to refer to it. That, our, our, uh, that group chat is kind of like group. Therapy we discussed this in group. Um, in this year where one of the dominant narratives, especially when you look at the Oscars is this sort of, rise of not even rise of but like triumph of really interesting maximalist movies everywhere all Mm -hmm. at once avatar the way of water elvis top gun maverick even though neither of us really liked that one very much i think it would have been appropriate and like and interesting to include nope which is a summer blockbuster movie that ends up being as much of a critique of maximalist filmmaking Mm -hmm. as it is a satisfying summer blockbuster movie and like that nope would have fit into this year's narrative so well that it that it irks me even more even more and like i'm already irked because just i think nope is one of the best movies of the year and and it irks me i tend to be pretty sanguine about the oscar nominees like in terms of like Good movies get in. Movies that I wish were in were not. This is the way it goes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, que And yet there are a handful of movies every year and performances where I'm like, but this did everything that it should have done. And also it has the benefit of being like one of the best things in the entire year. And, and a movie that we're going to be watching for years and years and years and years and years. Like, I agree. Yeah. I, I, I think not so sure. We'll be saying that about Top Gun Maverick. Like, I'm sorry. I agree. You know, I agree with you on that. Um, My, yeah, my choice for this was also Nope. But since you said it, I will, I had some strong runners up. I will say, um, one of them on a smaller level is White Noise, a movie they didn't really love, but I really wanted that original song nomination to happen for the LCD yeah. Sound System song. It really would have, uh, much as like the rug in The Big Lebowski, it really would have tied that category together. It really would have um, uh, rounded it out in a really fun way. I also, you mentioned earlier in this podcast how much you wanted St. Omer. Uh, to be nominated in mm-hmm. for uh, international feature, I agree with you. I I really was impressed by that movie, and I thought it definitely deserved. My choice here, though, if you're going to take Nope, will be she said a movie that I tended to like a good deal more than most people did. I know that movie definitely does have its fans. I don't want to say that like I'm the cheese who stands alone or whatever. Uh, she said <laughs> has its fans and I am one of them. I think the it's one of those movies that sat with me pretty well. It's a 
I think, I know you don't like the beginning parts of the movie. I think it's an engaging sit. I think it's a, I think it keep, kept me really engaged. I think it does really, uh, smart structural things in the way that it like seeds itself to its one scene supporting performances. You know what I mean? People are talking so much mm-hmm. about the Samantha Morton performance and the Jennifer Ely performance. I would also throw in, I think for a cameo that sometimes feels uncanny Valley, I, 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 I my feeling with, she said is when it veers into talking about the sort of like bold, na- bold face name people in it, like the names we all know, it can sort of feel sort of an uncanny Valley where it's just like, it's weird that we're watching a movie that's talking about, you know, this in specific in this way. But I think Ashley Judd actually carries off her uh, performance as herself uh, quite well. But anyway, I think the way I the thought, movie... I thought her inclusion in the movie was a mistake. I can personally. see... I Well, I can see that being the case, but I think... Especially because she's the only one. So it... Sure. Like I said, it's 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 a, it's it's tonally odd, but I, I give her a lot of uh, credit for doing that. But I uh, mostly when I talk about the movie sort of like seeding itself to its uh, supporting players, I'm talking about Samantha Morton, I'm talking about Jennifer Ely, and I think it does weave in process in a way that I find very satisfying. I think it's a, I think it's a movie that did pretty much what I wanted for that story. And Mm -hmm. It's, you know, probably not on my top 10 list, but I think it's a really, really solid movie. It easily made my top 25. And uh, I was bummed, especially in a year where screenplay is, adapted screenplay was riding real thin, real, real thin, that we couldn't find a space for She Said. Top Gun Maverick's nominated. <laughs> All Quiet on the Western Front, Top Gun Maverick, um... I'm glad that Living got nominated, but, like, the fact that they're reaching for something as small and sort of off of the map as Living, even though, like, Bill Nye... Yeah, but as soon as... I, I, that was never not going to happen. Kazuo Ishiguro is one of the greatest living I don't authors ever. I like, don't disagree. That nomination was never in jeopardy. But all I'm saying is, it's it's irksome to me that they couldn't find a space for She Said in Adaptive Screenplay. It makes me feel like that... Oscar voters really wanted to just sort of like brush that movie aside and not have to think about it once it bombed. And um, I don't love that. Anyway, that's my pick. I would also, before we move on from this category, like to shout out The Inspection, a movie that yep. no one seemed to really... Li- I always felt like I liked it the most and it was never really going to like make a top 20 list for me. But mm. like I felt for a movie that is so pointedly and purposefully mm-hmm. playing down the middle almost like i don't think it's playing to the academy or academy sentiments but like it's right in the wheelhouse of what they appreciate yeah and i think you know if that movie had managed to stay in the conversation at all it could have had a really better shot with the academy because like i don't know. i i see intention in that movie's playing down the middle and i think it pulled it off in that way even if you know maybe it doesn't make for a better movie but there's things about the movie too that i think you know it's a weak spot in the movie but i'm so happy it's there um 
namely a lot of the gay shit. Um, yeah. But also, like, Gabrielle Union, I thought was tremendous and, like, has always had that level of performance in her and yeah. has not been given the opportunity. And she's a fucking legend in this business, and she should have had more of a foothold in the supporting actress race than I think she ultimately did. By the time that, like, that movie opened, it was already forgotten, and, like, she was in the conversation at the beginning of the season. She got the Indie Spirit nomination, and it ultimately didn't work out. Jeremy Pope would have been an incredible Best Actor nominee. This like, is the thing. I, people, we don't really talk about, because everybody sort of took Brendan Fraser's uh, nomination for The Whale as a given, that we don't talk the about... The Whale is... They dumped that movie to focus on The Whale. We don't talk about that movie, that nomination sort of like taking anybody else's nomination because nobody nobody thinks about it as like a fifth slaughter, but like that is 100% the nomination that that belonged to uh, Jeremy Pope. In my opinion, I also feel I like if that happens, we still preserve the tremendous stat that this acting lineup is 16 first-time acting nominees, which I want to shout out because I wrote about this for Vanity Fair, and I spent <laughs> so much time going through Wikipedia and IMDb trying to cross-check this. Um, also, shout out to Lily, who also uh, the Vanity Fair's fact-checker, who helped me fact-check it, and it was a beast. <laughs> First time since 1937, the ninth Academy Awards, uh, was the last time that 16 first-time nominees uh, were nominated. Those were the first nominations of, among other people, Gary Cooper. And that basically doesn't count because the Oscars are so new at that point. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're you're only going for eight previous years of uh, of history there. Right. But that was the first year that Gary Cooper was nominated, the first year that Spencer Tracy was nominated, um, uh, the first year that Louise Rayner was nominated. It's an interesting, it's a very, very fascinating year. I also, this was also the first Best Actor lineup that was five first-time nominees since 1930, I want to say four, when there were only three nominees uh, per for Best Actor. Uh, Clark Gable for It Happened One Night. Shit, I'm trying to remember. It was Frank... I think it's Frank Morgan, the guy who played the Wizard in The Wizard of Oz, was one of the nominees. Clark Gable, and then, oh, William Powell for The Thin Man. So, uh, that was the first time that Best Actor was all first-time nominees. So, um... Interesting stats. And, and, and one thing I do want to shout out this year's Oscar nominations for is that makes for an exciting year with 16 first time nominees. It's just, there's a, the energy I imagine is going to be really, really exciting at that Oscars. Yeah. That people yeah. are there. I, I you bet know. that the month ahead, at least for all those first time nominees. How fun. Yeah. How fucking fun. And some of the ones that weren't first timers are people like Angela Bassett and Judd Hirsch, who it's been like multiple decades since they've been nominated. So like that's it's rad. part of the reason why I think Kate Blanchett isn't going to win because mm. she's the only previous winner nominated. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, 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 she's not winning, guys. That, by I, the way, did I tell you when that last happened? Only one previous winner in an acting lineup? When was that? Uh, the 1996 uh, Academy Awards. Diane Keaton for Marvin's Room was the only previous yes, winner in that yes. not lineup. That was the lineup where, like, Francis McDormand wins for Fargo. Um, I remember you mentioning this on, uh, you were just on Little Gold Man I talking was. about some stats. Indeed. So listeners should go and listen to that. Indeed. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, I also just want to take two seconds. I understand <laughs> no one likes this movie, but uh, 
I just think that it is so fucking stupid that all season Wendell and Wilde struggled to show up. Yeah. Any, it, I'm like not any, surprised. Any animated but... feature nomination that it got anywhere feels like a fucking miracle. Because, like, a Netflix animated movie that I had never seen anyone talk... Like, I'd seen people, you know, predicting it as a possibility, but, like, never seen anybody talk about their feelings about this movie, The Sea Beast, which, all respect to everyone involved with The Sea Beast, but, like... Sure. Netflix really... St- Grood, Wendell and Wild, and I understand that that movie was a lot for a lot of people. This and, is the like, thing. Didn't and like Henry Selleck doesn't have an animated Oscar. Like, well, yes. What the? And that movie, I think that movie's gorgeous. I, I had a lot too. of fun, even though it's throwing a lot of shit at the wall. The thing about Wendell and Wild is, for one thing, like Netflix shoved it aside in favor of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Honestly, probably the right call because, like. It's Guillermo del Toro. His name in the, is in the title. Like that, you're obviously going to have it's a better not chance like that of succeeding. Pinocchio is any less weird than Wendell and Wilde. It's not, like, but it has Guillermo del Toro's name in the title, and I think that yeah. makes it a better bet for Oscar. Here's the other thing, though: is a movie like Wendell and Wilde is weird, and it's also though. And the blank check guys had a really, really uh, smart time of it talking about this movie. Go and listen to their episode on Wendell and Wilde if you're listening to to this. Um, after you're done listening to us. Um, it's a movie that's very weird. It's also incredibly overstuffed with plot. And I think we're, for a movie like that, it really benefits from the four walls and two doors of a movie theater where you're in there, right. you're focused, you don't have any distraction because it's a movie that that will give you... Uh, you know, reasons to drift or to like, you know, if you like look away and like check your messages for a second and you look back and you're like, what's going on? I'm lost. What's happening? And it's just like, you need to be in that experience. I think it should have been nominated yeah. too. I am in no way surprised that it wasn't. I think it should have won. Um, oh, I'm going to resent Netflix for a while. I <laughs> like, and it, this is not to slight uh, Guillermo del Toro or his Pinocchio movie. Like I fully understand and endorse it being nominated, blah, 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 blah. This should be the winner. <laughs> I am a. We're talking about the art of animation. Oh, on an I don't understand on an art of animation uh, respect, yes. On a film respect, I am a Marcel the Shell uh, loyalist and always will be. Sorry I'm, I'm about glad, it. No, I'm not going to be a bitch about it. I'm glad you seem everybody to want has to. That nice you seem show. to want to be a bitch about it. it it is a fine movie. I don't understand this level. Isabella Rossellini rules in it's that a movie. Wonderful movie. I think the movie is fine. It's a wonderful movie. All right. Um, what's next? The Dr. Louise Banks Award for most surprising. All right. Here's where I talk about the woman. Who do you have? The Woman King. Because, yes. like, it just, not only the fact, and we'll talk about Viola Davis in a second because I have some stats on that too. It's not just that it would have been the perfect movie. I talked about the year of maximalist movies, right? It would have been mm-hmm. the perfect companion to that as well. This is a movie that goes big. This is a movie that has energy. This is a It harkens crowd back to so much pleaser. old Hollywood style. It made money. It drew audiences. It opened too early in the season. But in this year where, and this is another thing I talked about on the Vanity Fair podcast, this was an incredibly... Uh, this was a best picture lineup that really spread it out across the calendar, right? There are movies that opened mm-hmm. in the spring, like everywhere all at once in the summer, like uh, Elvis and Top Gun, like this movie spread it out across the calendar. So I don't think 
you can talk about that as like a valid excuse for why the woman king didn't. The other thing is the woman king was up until nomination morning a contender or at least a fringe contender in so many categories. I think it was going into the night. I, I think was, it was probably sixth place in a lot in of a lot of categories. Like I going into nomination day, picture and director seemed like long shots, but possible. I think uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood would certainly showed up on enough best director lists that I thought it was possible. Viola Davis seemed likely. I think if you were looking at the crafts categories, costume design, I'm in, I'm shocked that this didn't make it in costume design. Uh, okay, so I feel like in the past year, people have really gotten on board, at least online or the online, you know, gay circles we run. People have really gotten on board with the past Oscar ceremonies that have treated the best costume design category like a fashion show yeah. where they do a full yeah. fashion presentation. Yeah. This was the movie I most wanted this to see ruled. do that. Yeah. Even if it maybe wasn't like my winner for costume design, yeah. it might have been actually um yeah but like, i wanted to see that cinematography sound i don't know if it made the sound shortlist it should have i don't know if it made the makeup shortlist but it should have score a uh, score film editing all of it like and i imagine i think you're right i had the same thought this was probably sixth place on quite a few categories um mm-hmm. the thing about viola davis is and we talked enough about their andrea riseborough thing and i'm not going to delve into that again except to say that Viola Davis now joins a one of the reasons why people like Frances Fisher maybe thought she was a lock was she had gotten every precursor. She was nominated by mm-hmm. the Golden Globes, by the Screen Actors Guild, by the Critics' Choice, dubious as they are, uh, by BAFTA. I went before we recorded this morning and went through just the 2000s. At some point, you go back far enough and Critics' Choice becomes like two nominees a year and it's you know not worth um, investigating. But uh, people who were nominated for SAG, the Golden Globes, BAFTA, and Critics' Choice, and not nominated for Oscar. It's It has happened before. It does happen, what did I say? It's like 10 times in the last 20 years. So on average, like once every other year. It does happen. Happened twice last year alone. Lady Gaga for House of Gucci, Katrina Balfe for Belfast. Both were nominated for all four of those precursors were not nominated. Uh also happened with Timothy Chalamet for Beautiful Boy in 2017. Amy Adams, speaking of Dr. Louise Banks, Amy Adams for Arrival in 2016. Jake Gyllenhaal for Nightcrawler in 2015. My uh, tw- oh, Three times it happened in 2013, which I think is truly wild. Uh, Tom Hanks for Captain Phillips. Emma Thompson for Saving Mr. Banks, Daniel Bruhl for Rush, all of those in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marion Cotillard. This is my thing because I said this to you and Katie. My thing about the Andrea Riseborough thing is like, yes, she is a different case of it, but like the kind of surprise stealth, like out of nowhere nominee isn't that uncommon? It's starting to feel right. like we get one every year. Well, let me just finish. Not like people should just be going out and predicting that like these are happening. But yeah. like, you know. Let me just finish this list because there's only two more names. Yeah, keep going. Uh, going. Marion Cotillard in Rust and Bone, a movie that like we really should do at some point because like it's it's uh, an interesting, it'd be an interesting movie to talk about, I think. And she did get all four of those precursors. And then Tilda Swinton in 2011 for We Need to Talk About Kevin. So like, it's a pretty prestigious list, right? Tom Hanks, Emma yeah. Thompson, uh, you know, Tilda Swinton. Like that's it's not like you're it talking happens about a lot schmoes. of people that I think when voters are, you know, filling out their ballot, you're talking about a lot of people who either have Oscars already yeah. or people probably think are safe. Yes. 
I think that's, I think that's a lot that goes into why they would have thought about that, about Viola. And maybe they should have still considered her. I I think some of, yeah, I think if you're looking to like taxonomize this list, right. It's the people who people think are safe. Like your Tom Hanks's, your, uh, uh, Amy Adams in Arrival, like your uh, Marion Cotillard, I think everybody thought was like a given for Rust and Bone. Then you have people... She more kind of falls into the category of she has an Oscar and a semi-recent one. Also that. And then I think you get certain ones that are like, maybe this isn't as good, this movie isn't as good as, you know, as warrants a nomination, which I think Saving Mr. Banks qualifies there, Beautiful Boy qualifies there. And then I think you get some that are sort of like semi-grotesques, like Lady Gaga and House of Gucci and Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler, and even, I would say, Tilda, and we need to talk about Kevin, where voters are like, maybe I don't like that movie. Maybe that movie kind of, like, you know, turns me off in a way. The Academy wasn't going to watch that movie. So... I think it's no shame for Viola Davis to join that list of actors. I think it is a, you know, strong and proud list of actors. I'm not glad that she does. I think it's a tremendous movie, but I will really, really enjoy doing a whole episode unpacking The Woman King because I think it's really good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a shame. I think like uh, we talk about loving our, you know, movie star nominations, and she would have been such an incredibly worthy one. Um, yeah. Plus, it would have put her, like, I had, I for that Vanity Fair article where I was doing the stats and, and milestones, I did a little pre-research. And, like, there were so many things that would have been, that Viola Davis would have attained with this nomination. She would have moved into... um Wait, did I still have my, do I still have my notes anywhere? I might have let's see. No, I think I just wrote over it. It's too bad. Um, but there were some there were some landmarks that Viola Davis would have hit uh had she been nominated for The Woman King. And just in general, like I am somebody who feels like our greatest actresses should be nominated, you know, six, seven times throughout their career. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's good. I mean, and- she's still firing on all cylinders. There is yeah. zero doubt that she's going to get another Best Actress nomination. I think it's good multiple, that Kate Blanchett like- has eight career nominations. I think that is befitting an actress of her stature. And I think somebody like Viola Davis deserves to, uh, to reach that level as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Yours was the Woman King as well, or did you have any alternatives? I mean, that was that was the one for me. So uh, obviously, I should say Daniel Deadweiler until here. Yeah. Though, like, I think specifically if you're talking those two actress nominations, you know, Till is uh, sort of the, sort of the opposite of the Woman King, though, in that like it wasn't really in contention for anything except Daniel Deadweiler. But it's surprising that it never was. I mean, it, the uh, the reasons are unfortunate and obvious why it wasn't. But like that could have been a costume design nominee. Sure, that could have been you know a screenplay nominee. I also um, though I don't feel like that movie was my my perception of that movie's reception was a lot more mixed and muddled than than a typical well, Oscar because nominee. like the movie is half does. By half, it does somewhat of the standard biopic thing. But then, uh, like, maybe another 50% of the movie, and it's not like, you know, the first half of the movie is this, and then the second half of the movie is this. But, mm-hmm. like, Shinonia Chukwu is a very interesting filmmaker to me in terms of, like, taking what a movie that you expect to be one thing and go digs really deep and mm-hmm. creates these, like, sonic you know, psychological experiences out of them that, like, I I think 
this movie also does something like that. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. were sharing when the nomination didn't happen. The testimony scene that's mm-hmm. all done in one shot that, like, I think that is very atypical of what a lot of movies like Till do, you know, that mm-hmm. are period biopics. Um and that I I found exciting. Maybe that created maybe that type of uh, you know stepping outside of the box made people not understand what that movie was going for. Yeah. Um. I I would also say if I if my answer is not the woman king here, I would say white noise by default because what I really mean is the underperformance of Netflix, where it's like sure. Really, their well, only they, movie significantly in the race is All Quiet on the Western Front. Which and overperformed feels, to a degree that obviously shocked me. We've talked about it before. It didn't shock me. I was more so shocked that I thought it could have done better. Um, but, but, but it doesn't feel like Netflix was ever pushing that movie in a way. Like, it was clear. It was like their fifth priority, maybe. Their it's, sixth priority throughout most of the season. You weren't and, surprised once you saw the shortlist, though. But weren't you at least a little surprised? Like we, we, none of us were saying when this movie was at TIFF, oh, we should see that movie because this is going to be, a, a, you right. know, a big player for Netflix. Like it was they a also surprise. Programmed that movie at like ten o'clock at night at TIFF, and it's like <laughs> no fucking way am I watching that at ten o'clock at night. Um, it, I mean, I kind of felt that. Before the shortlist, I was like, something's going on here, but I wasn't like, this is going to be the top Netflix movie at that point. But yeah. when I saw those shortlists, I was like, absolutely, it, yeah. it's it's their their chance now. And, you know, what other, what other, they have three nominations that are not, um, uh, it is, Glass no, Onion. it's their two animated, and then it's the screenplay for, for Glass, Glass Onion. Onion, and I think yeah. that's it. Because right? they're not in the uh, documentary race, right? They're no. not in the shorts. Yeah, I think I it... thought they were in the shorts. Did they get blanked on the shorts? Oh, I meant animated shorts. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, the the of what I'm saying, it's not including yeah. the shorts. That I'm not positive on. I, I think but looking. Like... I think we. This is something we were talking about as far back as the the summer was looking ahead at Netflix and just being like, oh, their roster is uncharacteristically weak given how they had been averaging two Best Picture nominees for the last like three years or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Um, I like a lot of people were hoping that they would put more of their oomph behind Glass Onion, a genuine uh, crowd pleaser. I think now looking at the fact that Glass Onion ends up leaving this year's Oscar nominations with exactly the same fate as Knives Out did, which is one nomination mm-hmm. in screenplay, given the fact that of everything that happened with like box office and and how it was you know pulled from theaters and it wasn't given a chance to uh, have a full robust theatrical run, can we make the safe claim that? Netflix didn't do shit for Glass Onion and that like if if the idea was well you're going to Netflix they at the very least have like a more uh, a more successful awards apparatus and it's like well you did the same for them probably happy than... with what they got out of Glass Onion think... because Netflix has made it so clear that they what they care about is they care about n- the numbers they pull on their platform Oh I'm sure and Netflix they, is they happy got that but the thing I think that makes it 
that like gives the movie cultural significance is like a lasting longevity and like it's hard for movies on the platform to have a longevity and like obviously they got the numbers they want so they're probably not complaining about it but the thing about these you know you saw it with bird box you saw it with uh bright you saw it with whatever these movies that play right at the christmas window on netflix they get these huge numbers right away because everyone's just sitting at home and then a week later people move on like well but this is why I'm- that's why glass onion underperformed at the oscars because by the time voting was happening people moved on and netflix i'm not surprised didn't do i'm not surprised that netflix is happy with how this worked out i'm saying are you i'm disappointed if i'm coming at it from glass onions perspective if i'm the producers mm-hmm. of glass onion is that like maybe maybe when they the, clearly could have had maybe more, they don't like, get the funding to make the sequel that they would through you know Lionsgate or whatever that's fine but like ultimately what good did netflix do for glass onion that another st- i don't think glass onion is better for having a bigger budget too well yes one of my things about that i movie. think i think glass onion is the word of mouth theatrical success that it is no matter who's putting it out i don't think netflix manufactured that i don't think netflix cultivated that i think that was a function of knives out being a very popular movie that was a very rewatchable movie that sort of built over the last few years and i think that audience and that enthusiasm and that sort of like meme ability would have happened no matter what no matter who put it out and probably would have been enhanced by a longer theatrical run so all i'm saying is I'm sure Netflix is perfectly fine with what Glass Onion did for them. Mm-hmm. If I'm Glass Onion, I'm not so satisfied by what by what Netflix did for me. I, I, and I I do feel like that type of lasting cultural longevity um, is going to make the third movie less of a big deal. Um, oh, I disagree. I think it was. I think even with the shortcomings of Netflix, I think Glass Onion was such a big deal even if it was for a shorter duration than people think i don't think like netflix isn't bird or uh, glass onion isn't bird box like people haven't forgotten that movie like that movie is it has, has sticking power and i think the third one will be just fine i mean it'll, it'll be just fine sure but like i don't know if people are going to be as excited as they were for glass onion like eh. the antici- i think the anticipation and the you know hugeness is not going to be as significant. we'll see we'll see all right, what's the next one? Moving right along to the unfor- uh, the unforgettable. Wait, hold on. I'm scrolling back up because I was on the list. Uh, no, the unfinished life prize for most forgettable. Most forgettable. So forgettable. I forgot the title of that JLo movie that yeah. we've done a whole episode on. What's what's your pick for this? My pick is a movie that you know we we who are intensely paying attention to these things. Always have to relearn the who gives a shit about test screening results <laughs> about movies. Yeah. Um, and like, this, the, the studio handled this in a way that primed this movie to be the most forgettable. Um, 13 Lives, Ron mm. Howard's, which we had heard early on had these astronomical test screening results. They were going to release it during the Thanksgiving window, and we were like, oh, so Ron Howard might be back. Yeah, United Artists is positioning this movie yeah. to do really well, and we've gotten whispers that people apparently really love this movie. Unceremoniously, and a lot of people didn't even know when it happened, they switched to, this movie is going to drop on Amazon in 
August. <laughs> and yeah. no one watched it when it was on there. And then you would see things throughout the season, like Paul Thomas Anderson saying that it was his favorite movie of the year. <laughs> And then it showed up on the visual effects shortlist, and I was kind of of the mind, I didn't ultimately predict it, but I was like, 13 Lives is going to be one of those weird random nominations. And if it weren't... It didn't ha- I was going to Deepwater Horizon. If right? it were any category but visual effects, yes. I think ultimately the visual effects in 13 Lives just don't seem visual effecty enough to, to do it. We're talking so much about Colin Farrell, and when people are like, the four Colin Farrell movies this year, and people are like, what? What's the Here's what one? I'm going to like, tell guys, you. It's 13 Lives. 13... No one watched it, but... I watched it. 13 Lives is a good movie. It's the best movie that Ron Howard has made in a dog's age. Um... It's a good Colin Farrell performance that deserves to be mentioned along with his other ones. I like it better than him in The Batman. And um, in general, people love to talk about, like, this is a movie for your dad. And they talk about that as a compliment, right? right? Like people, That's why All Quiet on the Western Front did well. What were the dad movies this year? Because even Top Gun is a little too silly for your dad. We, like, we tend to feel, and I don't think we're wrong to feel this way, that like a healthy movie economy includes plenty of movies for your dad, right? Because like that's your meat and potatoes. That is your mid-budget, you know... Uh, you know, watch it in a theater or like rewatch it at home, whatever, when it's on, you know, VHS or DVD, like your classic dad, you know, dad formats of your, um, all lazy boys should be, so- should be given like five free DVDs. Like 13? when you first got, when you first bought DVD players and they gave you the matrix and like four other fucking movies, yeah. I think the mask was one of them. Yeah. And yeah. all lazy boys should come with like, yeah, true grit. Yes, yes. True Grit <laughs> is like hard. True Grit is like the concierge tier, right? That is your like uh, your tippy right. top. That that's that's the good one. Thirteen Lives is an inc- is an incredibly good dad movie that dads didn't watch this year because nobody watched it this year because Amazon has absolutely just atrophied the ability to to distribute movies like they genuinely don't know how to do it anymore and well in this year they're trying to commit to doing what a dozen movies or something with exclusive theatrical runs i'm so worried for all of them i'm so worried for all of them like they really have just lost the ability to do that if they ever had it except they did have it because like manchester but they did it with partners yeah yeah but anyway justice for 13 lives it's a better movie than people think like it got the the reputation of being junk because amazon treated it Dumped like it, it was junk and it's not junk it's a good movie uh uh milish foreman uh, said it okay exactly right that way. yeah yeah okay what's my what's pick? your pick what's my pick for the unfinished life prize um mine is a movie i like considerably less <laughs> than 13 lives uh david o russell's amsterdam was oh such a disaster and then completely forgotten in the wake of other movies better movies that also nobody saw, right? Like Amsterdam failed so spectacularly. And then the fact that on the heels of Amsterdam, nobody saw She Said, nobody saw The Fablemans, nobody saw Babylon. You know what I mean? All no one saw bros. Right. And so I think probably to the benefit of everybody involved in Amsterdam, which I don't think is like the shittiest, most awful movie ever, but like it is a failure. It did make me believe that Purgatory exists, though. <laughs> it's a movie that like, with a cast that big, I'm going to enjoy one or two performances. I genuinely had no 
not no idea what was happening in it, but also just I had no emotional investment to carry me through um, where this movie was taking me. I just saw a Sundance movie last night that made me feel the exact same way, but we'll talk about that in our Sundance bonus. Um, <laughs> I was just like, my profound emotional reaction to that movie was disengagement, which is not what you want. I was just profoundly not engaged. Do you mean disengagement or dissociation? No. Like, not... I don't mean dissociation. I mean, I was in general, general, like, just not plugged into this movie. That was what this movie did for me. It made me feel very, very not invested in what was happening. And I think... Everybody's doing a goddamn bit and none of the bits are working. Yeah. That's the thing. Amsterdam is kind of. I liked the parts. Here's what I will say. Writ large. I liked the parts where they sort of flash back to Christian Bale, John David Washington, Margot Robbie as like friends in in. Oh, I mean, like if you describe the uh, the experience or what Amsterdam is trying to do, I want to watch that movie. That sounds great. I like when the fans of Amsterdam came out. Was Richard Brody one of them? I was Uh, like, that sounds great. To me, you're describing what the movie is trying to do, not, not what, what it, it actually pulls yeah, off. I agree. Like, I agree. And I think it's going to be ultimately very, very easy to forget that. And A, because I don't think there's going to be a ton of people who are who will make it, you know. Sometimes you want you, you know, you make it hard to forget a movie by the fact that there are partisans of that movie that will really speak up. And I think even the people who liked Amsterdam liked other things better. You know what I mean? Like they're just like they're right. not gonna take the time to badger you about Amsterdam and about how good it is because it wasn't. So um my runner up is one that I didn't see, so I can't, you know, make any claims about it, but it's really the 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 Oscar campaign, such as it was for emancipation, really did feel like a ghost out there. Like is this real like even the people who would like try and talk about like everybody sleeping on emancipation and you're all gonna have egg on your face when this movie ends up being and i'm like do you believe this or just does it make you feel good to make it to posture like everybody else is missing the boat on something because like it felt a little like click chasing it did right and ultimately like this movie kind of didn't exist you know what i mean it, it kind of mm-hmm. you know just didn't have a presence. And I think it, there was, you know, a half heartedness on the part of Apple. And obviously like the Will Smith aftermath of King Richard didn't help. But I like, I think if that slap never happens, I think emancipation probably has a similar fate. Yeah. I also want to throw out a movie that people are going to be like, what are you talking about? What is this? Uh, Mothering Sunday, which ultimately yeah. got a release this March or was that a, in the spring. Was that a virtual TIFF movie? It was movie? supposed to come out in 2021. Yeah. And it was supposed to be like sexy romance costume drama of that Oscar season. Got the most indifferent reviews in the in, in that movie's festival run and Sony Classic Sony Classics drop kicked it into the next year never to really be seen or heard from again it is a movie that has a lot of full frontal nudity from josh o'connor so there is that yeah there is a cameo of glenda jackson and my um apologies to anyone that this grosses out my x-rated joke about that movie when people would ask me about how is glenda jackson in it i would tell them that ejaculate has more screen time than she does in the movie and i am not kidding Oh, um, God, okay. 
just really a non-starter of a movie. Colin Firth and Olivia Colman are in it, and they are really trying. Um, My memory of Mothering Sunday is that it was at the same virtual TIFF that Benediction was at. And, like, people were talking about mm-hmm. Mothering Sunday for, like, half a second, and then people saw Benediction, the people who did see Benediction. Uh, Benediction, by the way, a movie that I can't even talk about. We'll we'll do an episode on Benediction at some point. But, like, it was never even enough in the conversation for me to have it on for any of these awards. Because, like... it. I mean, like, talk about justice for Slaughter Race. Good like, critics. Justice uh, for that movie. Sticking up for that movie. And it wasn't maligned. I felt like it we just... kind of got it to the ceiling that we could get that movie to because, like, Roadside barely even released it. Like, I feel well, it's like... it made a dent yeah. on a lot of critics' top tens because it was on Hulu for a while. Terrence Davies is just not going to. Justice for Terrence Davies. He's like, just not. It's just not going to be an, an Oscar <laughs> type of guy. Reminder uh, that we are a Davies Babies podcast. Benediction, um, one of the best movies of 2022. One of the best movies of last year, yeah. and like a movie that really grows with you as you sit with it. Jack Loudon should have absolutely been a Best Actor nominee. I had initial issues that I was like, Jeremy Irvine is so. Yeah, bad you have a weird thing he, about the Jeremy Irvine that he. Yeah. Uh, you know, is a detriment to the movie. I think that's maybe a little bit true. Whereas I thought it was really true uh, when I first he's saw not, the movie. He's not a he's not a problem for me. Like it's, I think, not a good actor. Um, a Benediction is a hard one to place in one of these categories, but I'm glad yeah. that you bring it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, listeners, go watch Benediction on Hulu. Yeah, you will not regret it. Yeah. Uh, especially if you are of gay and sad experience, as Joe Reed has put it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But also, it's not, it is, it is a sad movie. But like, I think the thing that a lot of people, me included, want to impress upon people is it's also very fun. There is some like real, real enjoyable gay bitchiness in this movie, and it is tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's next? So our next category, which I believe is our last category, we can also shout out some more movies if we want to once we get past yeah. this, but it is the Welcome to Marwin Prize for our most anticipated episode. Joe, what movie do you most look forward to talking about on the podcast? Well, I'm going to shout out uh, our good friend Katie Rich because she has multiple times now uh, asked us to uh, do an episode on My Policeman, which we will, and she's asked us to do it enough times that we are probably going to conscript her into being our guest on it. So, um, uh, yes, we'll do a My Policeman. Also, our shout-out to our listeners, who we have gotten plenty of people asking us to do an episode on Don't Worry Darling, that we are just going to have to do that. Like, we are absolutely going to have to unpack all the... I mean, they need some distance between them, too, because how do you talk about one without talking... I mean, you could yes. talk about Don't Worry Darling without talking about My Policeman. You can't talk about My Policeman. What if we do our first ever double episode, first ever double episode, and we do My Policeman <laughs> and Don't Worry Darling at the same time? That would be fun. That would be funny. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, Katie would be a great guest for that. Maybe that's our first double guest. We'll also invite Demois. <laughs> we'll invite Miss Flo. Okay. Um, I thought about uh, having the Northman for this, just because I want to mention the Northman. Uh, Northman, one of the rare movies. Nicole Kidman on my ballot. Oh, by the way, in fact, this will be a good. All right, the Northman will be our our excuse to take a little bit of a break and talk about the Vulture Movies Fantasy League because we are doing it live. This oh week. yes, here we go. Um, Vulture Movies Fantasy League, obviously. Uh, 
a a points bonanza for <laughs> the Oscar nominations because we had a Gary shout us out that they wanted it known that they were I forget I apologize I forget what your uh, team name is but they were the highest ranking person who did not draft All Quiet on the Western Front. We salute you. Which is, yeah, All Quiet on the Western Front from the double whammy of Oscar nomination hall and BAFTA hall has really, really shot up the ranks in the last two weeks uh, for uh, Movie Fantasy League. And because it was a $3 buy, basically anybody who has All Quiet on the Western Front on their roster is doing pretty well, unless you really shit the bet on everything else. Um Unsurprisingly, Everything Everywhere All at Once was our top overall point leader. Although I will say, Banshees of Inisherin, right there behind it. You know what I mean? 230 points. Those two movies ended up outpacing All Quiet more so than the nomination tally would suggest because they had more nominations in the top categories, which were weighted uh, more heavily. The reason why The Northman made made me think about this, though, was... There are movies, and you looked at this even on Oscar nomination day, where like, um, what are some of the movies that like got, if not their first points of the season, like some of their rare point totals of the season? Like, um, I'm scrolling down the list here. Like, obviously, Far our enough. beloved Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which only got nominations, I think, for Oscar and Movies for Grown Ups Awards, maybe. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Bardo, Empire of Light. Bardo is a good one. Empire of Light. Well, Empire of Light has some BAFTA nominations. But like in general, Empire of Light does not have a whole lot of uh, of nominations in general. Bardo is a great example, though, of that. Um, the highest profile movie with zero points throughout the entire award season, I think, is The Northman. I, I guess I want to dance really? with somebody also. Um, the Northman, zero points. I want to dance with somebody, zero points. Emancipation will throw in there too, zero points. Um, I would have expected somewhere, at some point, some awards entity to throw a nomination to the Northman for something. Cinematography. The score deserved it. The score. The costumes or lack thereof you know what i mean like there's a lot of craft movies for grown-up best supporting actress bjork 100 percent. like there's a lot of craft going to that movie that is a movie that like had complicated reactions but it's not like it was like even a love it or hate it i think a, i think a lot of people really liked that movie um it got really tied up on twitter with people thinking it was a white supremacist movie because of his haircut ruin, it was so stupid truly they like, ruin everything those people uh the white supremacists fuck those people get out of my movie I really, sometimes i think these things start as a joke yes. that people who have no sense of humor can't tell that someone's fucking joking yeah well and it's also the fact that like you have cadres of people whose only purpose is to uh make other people angry and annoy people and like even you know what i mean like they don't have to actually mean what they say anyway Northman is surprising though because it's like there's not a lot of sets but they built those sets you know like i i think there are plenty of of craft excuses to uh nominate the northman if you don't even want to talk about things like the the northman has no business being as boring as it is that movie is so boring i don't think i liked the northman i don't i i rewatched it because i was like do i want to put this somewhere on my ballot and i ultimately um was like nicole kimmon should be be on people's ballots for i was gonna say that yes and the score is 
tremendous. But I was like, rewatching, I was like, this is watching paint dry. And partly because, you know, we never mind. We don't have to get into it. We don't have to kick the Northman when it's down. Same I just want to say, um, it's a it's a zero pointer throughout the entire season, which is pretty rare. Like usually, something will get something. So um, obviously, we spent this whole episode of the of uh, our podcast talking about the Oscar nomination, so we don't need to like linger too much. So I want to talk about the leaderboard a little bit, um, and the sort of the quirks of it. I still think it is fascinating. I believe when I tallied it up, only two rosters in the top twenty have everything everywhere all at once that in general that's surprising people who because it was such a it was an expensive movie it was 60 dollars. it was the second most expensive movie to the fablemans um and in general it's been by far by a large margin the biggest scoring movie of the entire year Mm -hmm. uh right now it has amassed 1170 points the next closest I believe is Banshees of Inisherin with 940. I think even with the box office points ta- tallied in and factored in, I don't think Avatar or Black Panther approach that. Um, but the thing about Everything Everywhere All at Once is there were people who, instead of picking that, what they could have, you know, for, for around that same cost, maybe picked Banshees and Tar and Elvis. And I think those three mm-hmm. movies together. Uh, make up that difference and then some. But here's what I will say is now we are getting into the part of the season where fewer and fewer movies are going to get points. It's only going to be the movies that win things that get points. And I think here is where everything everywhere all at once really could start to run away with things. And you're going to see less and less points for things like tar or um, I think Banshees still Banshees could win several Oscar nominations, but it could, Banshees could theoretically win maybe one Oscar. You know what I mean? I think there's a scenario where it wins zero, but there is a scenario. Strange. It would be, I don't even know if I would say very, they kind of need to rally that campaign around a certain aspect. Like it's, I don't know. I think screenplay and actor are your two strongest cases, but neither one of those is a lock picture though. I won't, but like certainly Best Picture isn't a lock. Like they're not really locked for anything. And I think everything everywhere all at once is locked for at least a few of those things. And I think that's where if you're a roster that's sort of hanging on at the top of the charts right now, but you don't have everything everywhere all at once, watch your back is all I will say. Mm -hmm. I think there's a zero at this point. I mean, things could change. I think there's a zero percent chance of the Oscars having either Tar, the Fablemans or Banshees one of those walking away with zero Oscar wins. Yeah, I think that's right. I think your X Factor, though... the Fablemans. Maybe. It's very possible. Uh, Justice for the Fablemans, a great movie. Um, boy, talk about a movie that, like, that's the one where I get the most annoyed Where when people sort of, like, not even don't like that movie, but sort of, like, mock that movie as, like, self-evidently terrible, and I'm just like, you're ignorant, get some culture. I have seen none of this. I see it more than I should. Um, And just talk about how it's, like, over-sentimental, which, like, you only watched the trailer. That's my only explanation for that, if that's how you think. Um, I kind of want to talk about the Elvis points, though, because I floated to you, and I may be sticking by this. Yeah, Uh, Not that any of my overarching uh, bets have really... Yeah, we should talk about the bets at some point. All quiet thing. Um, 
I think Elvis has a real shot at pulling a dune. And, you know... Okay, well, all right, you can have one or the other, Chris. Either All Quiet on the Western Front is the, you know, all-encompassing threat that you, you know, had hyped it up to be going into nominations, or Elvis is going to win a Dune number of Oscars. Because I feel like... I don't know if it's going to get six like Dune did, but I think Elvis is going to get... Off the top of my head right now, Elvis is getting four Oscars. Tally him up for me. Austin Butler. Best actor. Yeah. Costume design and production design. Catherine Martin does not miss, I will say. Catherine Martin. I mean, you, especially when it's, you know. You um, bet against Catherine Martin at your peril. Yes. Right. And I think it's getting the makeup one. Um, what else is in makeup? Sorry, I'm scrolling down to makeup. What else could win? Uh, here's what. All right. I am living in deep, deep fear that the whale wins best makeup. I mean, I don't know if there's going to be generosity to throw a win behind that movie if it's not Brendan Fraser. I also think, like, that movie, to me, no one has really come out and, you know, tried to... I don't think that movie is much of a threat, or you would see this to win that category, there is clear visual, there is clear digital tinkering going on with that makeup job. To me. But has that been a detractor for that category in the past? Recently, yeah. Okay. All right. I like that was an open ended question. I genuinely was, was asking. Um, I, f- I, w- I would argue yes. Um, and Elvis is the only best picture nominee in that category, right? All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, okay. And, I mean, maybe All Quiet on the Western Front is the spoiler there, and I I ultimately don't think All Quiet on the Western Front has a... (sighs) Cinematography is also the... Cinematography and makeup, Elvis is winning one of those. Well, I will say, if Elvis wins cinematography, Mandy Walker, who is a cinematographer, will become the first woman to ever win the Oscar for Best Cinematography, which would be pretty rad. I'm kind of... Elvis could win both of those, but maybe All Quiet will win one of them, but Elvis is winning at least one of those. It's really surprising that Top Gun Maverick was not nominated in cinematography after winning a bunch of those prizes, and of course, like, it being a Best Picture nominee, and and it's like, the thing about that movie... that like people talk about is the visuals. The I fact that, that there's aerial photography. I thought that movie looked fine. It's like, what it's weird that it's a screenplay nominee and not a cinematography nominee though. It's just deeply <laughs> weird. And like categories have different, you know, I think cinematography was much more competitive this year than adapted screenplay. I get it. The one I'm kind of rooting for there. I would love to see Mandy Walker win. Um, without Hoyt Van Hotuma nominated for Nope. I would love to see Darius Kanji win for Bardo. That was the nomination that everyone was like, Bardo? Why is Bardo nominated this year? Bardo looks tremendous. Bardo looks like tremendous. Anybody, anybody poo-pooing that nomination, I am, get bent. I, like, I'm sorry. I'm a fan of that you're movie. You're a fan. But, like, I liked it better than I thought he would, but I'm like, I'm más o menos a little bit on Bardo. But um, Darius Kanji is a tremendous cinematographer. Uh, only his like, second nomination, I think, ever. And let me look that up. Um, but Bardo looks tremendous. Uh, Darius Kanji has been nominated for Evita. I did not remember that. And then Bardo is only uh, his second nomination, but like has done the cinematography for a bunch of like James Gray movies, Lost City of Zed, recent uh, 
movie of ours. He did the cinematography for Amour. Um, what other movies? The Beach, Danny Boyle's The Beach, uh, which has its problems, but looks amazing. Seven, a little movie called Seven, uh, which <laughs> looks pretty goddamn good and was pretty goddamn influential as a visual object. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of riding for a Bardo win in cinematography. Oh, the one thing I want to say about Elvis was if we did not have a best picture front runner that was textually about jumping between timelines as often as everything everywhere all at once does i think elvis would be a big contender to win editing but like if there is a lock of locks everything everywhere all at once is winning best film elvis did get a sound nomination too right which that category does love music movies like well musicals the thing about sound is it's a very recently combined category and those categories when they were separated had two sort of distinct preferences. Sound mixing... And it's up against action movies and All Quiet on the West Sound mixing mm. valued um, musicals and also water, like uh, uh, underwater stuff, which makes Avatar a contender. Sound effects editing was bang, bang, shoot, shoot, bullet effect, you know, like bullet sounds. <laughs> like, it really loved gun battles. So if you combine them, then you have All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, Elvis and Top Gun Maverick all sort of like being the kinds of things that the sound branch really likes. So I think that's actually nobody pays attention to sound because whatever. But also, this is my other thing, and people don't talk about this enough. The Oscars are the only televised award ceremonies that put these awards on television. And that's the one that everybody wants to get rid of because that's the one where everybody goes and like makes their popcorn and goes to the bathroom and like John and JQ public don't give a shit about sound, you know, winners. It's a category where you can win your party poll. This is, that is true. And also like for people like us who are like really into it, all of a sudden now it's like, that's one of the most interesting categories on the ballot to me because I think it's incredibly competitive. Mm. I was predicting everything everywhere there because they They've gotten on this run of nominating Best Picture frontrunners that you maybe wouldn't think would be nominated there, but they didn't go for But because, again, I I return to the idea that this is like the year of maximalist movies, four of those five nominees for Best Sound are Best Picture nominees because there were a lot of very big, very movie, capital M, movie movies nominated for Best Sound. Otherwise, I think you probably would in another year have gotten everything everywhere all at once nominated for Sound. Anyway... As far as the points go for Vulture Movie Game, obviously, I think we can all predict that uh, if you have picked everything everywhere for your team, you got some points coming to you. However, all I'm saying is, if you drafted Elvis... I think that is a possible stealth player for some end of the game. Well, and if you look at the top ranking teams, the top... Now I'm just sort of like going through the top five, at least. I'm trying to think of how far I have to go down. Okay, five of the top six teams all have Elvis on their roster. So that could end up breaking well for them. That could help offset... A, a everything everywhere all at once wave. Now I'm Steve Kornacki here being like, there's there's an, there's an votes coming in for everything everywhere all at once, but Elvis voters stay in line. Um, 
yeah, if you want to go check out where your team stands in the Vulture Movies Fantasy Game. And by the way, this has been kind of a delight and a joy for me to experience all this season. We are by no means done. We are going to be going. Uh, points will accumulate. As a trivia and statistician. One million percent. Uh, points will obviously accumulate through Oscar nomination night, and then we'll find out who our winner is. You can go to Vulture, or sorry, you can go to moviegame.vulture.com and click a link to a landing page where you can see where your team is do a little control f search you can see where the other standings are i want to make the point once again that i am riding right now in second place among vulture staff to nate jones i am barely more than 100 points behind nate and nate (laughs) does not have everything everywhere all at once so what i'm saying is he doesn't have Elvis. The either. system is rigged, and Joe Reed will win. Among well, I mean, like, teams. talk about a victory that means nothing. Where people are just like, "Yeah, like <laughs> Joe, who like helped design the game, is in first place." Like, you know, big <laughs> fucking surprise. Here's what I will say: I may have designed the game, but I was still dumb enough to draft Devotion and Lyle Lyle Crocodile. So, like, <laughs> some of us don't know everything, even if we helped design the game. All right, yes, um, go check out the Vulture Movie Fantasy League, and we will seamlessly transition back into the what did we say the welcome to marwin prize for most anticipated episode because my real choice for that award chris is the bones i'm so excited (laughs) to talk about the bones (laughs) just because we'll call them the bones Bones and all no i am excited to talk about for that because we'll do silly voices but also i quite liked this movie we'll do the pirate voices the whole time for the bones i quite liked this movie and you loved this movie and like like i'm excited to hear you talk at length about why you love this movie. Ohio cinema. Um, there you go. <laughs> I think the thing that I love about it frustrates a lot of people in that, like, it could be symbolic of something. It could also be symbolic of all of those things. It could be symbolic of none of those things. Yeah. I, I think it's symbolic of none of those things, but representative of all Not of to, like, things. be, like a dork and like fan out about somebody's letterbox review. But like, I really, really liked your letterbox review of bones and all. It really made me think about that movie quite a bit. When you talk about the things that that movie is talking about, it made like the letterbox, like top five liked reviews of the year or something. And someone had to tell me that because I didn't, I I didn't. It's the thing about letterbox. This is just word salad. I just posted word salad and people like, no, it's more than word salad. It's very insightful. It's very good. I think there is an aspect to letterbox where, it's like, why is this my one letterbox review that like has way more likes than everything else for me? My, that's After Sun for me. And my review for After Sun is literally all it says is we as a culture must allow Paul Mescal to dance. And like that is like. I just think people agree with you. I think so, too. But like, why to that you degree? You've spoken a great truth. <laughs> like why? we as a culture do need to just let Paul Mescal dance. Why do I like, I, like, I think I think it's mostly just a testament to the fact that like people kept discovering After Sun throughout the year. And um, right. one of the more satisfying experiences of watching people i know and friends of mine and people who aren't as plugged into movies as we are discover after sun has been very very gratifying and makes me believe in uh award season because it's like it really does feel like that movie showing up on things like critics lists and um you know top tens and Paul Mescal getting Oscar buzz and ultimately an Oscar nomination has helped that movie reach a wider audience and it deserves it. What is your pick, Chris? Can we pause for a second? Yeah. I 
hate to do this, but I'm gonna die if I don't go pee. Go pee, go pee, go do it. I've been in pain. Uh, sorry for my individual audio that will have the sound of me peeing. No, good. Just I'll be right back. Uh, well, I'll play, but I'll play like Tijuana Brass or something like that. What are you doing? I put on Herb Alpert's Spanish Flea to uh, have hold music while you were doing that. Oh, okay. I do love Herb Alpert. Tell us why you uh, why that's the one you want to do an episode on most. Like Bones and all that movie. I think yeah. genuinely, why I want to I want to unpack with you what your feelings are about this movie because I think you have a really good take on it. I also, I mean twist my arm to talk about Timmy Chalamet who I have stopped <laughs> I have decided I'm just going to stop feeling bad and apologize I love for how Taylor much. Russell too someone posted what a weirdo what I a fun little weirdo too. someone posted to you a video that's like she's so weird I love her and it's just her at a Q&A talking about like going and swimming in, in, a, creek in a creek or something while filming the movie but it's like three minutes long also I'm eager to take up the challenge of like how many different things I can compare Mark Rylance's performance to. Um, <laughs> I said initially that he is part of the Rose the Hat cinematic universe, but I think there's there's more to unpack there. I think in general, what a I mean, w- the obvious thing that everyone says is that he's the Family Guy pedophile. <laughs> oh God, um, which is not wrong, but like I think only compliments his performance. Um, I'm still kind of flummoxed. Not flummoxed. I was. I was expecting a better than better than average chance that Mark Rylance would show up more than he did in the conversation in terms of best supporting actor. I expected more places to like throw a, a Jared Leto little things House of Gucci style like what? Like nomination. Nobody kind of rallied around that movie though. Yeah, it's too bad. It's too bad. All right. Uh what is your pick for the Mo- Welcome to Marwin prize for most anticipated episode? Listen, so so many movies that we'll have the opportunity to talk about are just going to be a stone-cold bummer. And to the point where I feel like any movie we talk about this year, we're going to get, like, at some point we're going to get into the weeds of, like, kind of the bummer of a lot of this. And, um, I mean, while this one I don't think would avoid it, the one that I want to talk about the most is Dark Water. <laughs> oh, a movie that I sometimes forget was this year. Be- not only because it was... A movie that like, also forces us to talk about basically the entirety of the pandemic. Well, it was um, March, right? it was pushed around yeah. so much. That's the thing, is it was released in, I think, March or some, maybe April. But also, it was so, into my mind, it so solidly is associated with not only um, the pandemic, but Junkies. like, spe- well, specifically the fact that like, I was so sure that that was going to be a TIFF sensation 
uh, before mm-hmm. the pandemic happened and it got pulled. I was like, this is going to be a movie that we're all going to talk about and we're all going to like sort of like bug out our eyes about for better or worse. And it was Adrian Lyne, you know, back at, back at it again and with the um with the erotic thriller and the pandemic could not be a weirder a fucking movie. Yeah. I enjoyed my time watching that movie. It's not great, but like who slipped bath salts into Tracy Letts's lunch? Whoever it is before filming that finale. I want to buy you a Visa gift card because you deserve to have a little treat. Uh, Tracy Letts going. Tracy Letts, who doesn't want to talk about that movie. Tracy because Letts, he's like, I did a draft. Who literally, on it and then that was it. literally goes off a cliff in that movie. Like literally, absolutely, <laughs> textually does that. Tracy Letts, who has woman in the window and follows it with this. Like, we also have to do Woman in the Window at one point. Um, 100%. 100%. But, yeah, it's it, no question it's deep water. Yeah. Because, like, even if we have to wade into the deep water, the bleakness of uh, the season, we can have a good time. Well, and it also allows us to talk about just the absolutely bizarre bookend of the year being Ana de Armas, uh, deep water mm-hmm. on one end, doing and blonde on the other, shit. doing the most. Um, the movie coming out well after not only Ana de Armas and Ben Affleck break up, but like by then we had fully moved on to Benefer Part Two, and <laughs> and had all invested ourselves. By the way, can I just say? We didn't talk enough about it. I think it's going to be a Super Bowl commercial, so we're going to talk about it. We're going to come back around to it. But the day that Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez went to the Dunkin' Donuts to film that commercial or whatever, and were like in the drive-through window, like Ben in the drive-through window, like handing out Dunkin' to people and whatever, and Jennifer. Oh yeah, that's a Super Bowl commercial. You and Jennifer there right with like her like ice cap or whatever in you know in her hand, and all I could think of was, and I think I tweeted about this, but like. What an underrated quality in a person, which is the person who loves you enough to, like, not only, like, go along with you on your weird, dumb little, like, enthusiasms, but, like, credibly feign also in being enthused about that. Like, Jennifer Lopez will step into a Dunkin' and doesn't look like she's, like, put out to be there and doesn't even look like she's like punching a card and being like, here I am showing up for my husband or whatever. Cause he likes Duncan more than any <laughs> human being in this entire planet likes Duncan. Like she genuinely seems like she's happy to be there. And like, that is, that's a good partner right there. That is somebody who will make you believe that they are happy to be in a Duncan in fucking Waltham or whatever the fuck, like, you know, Shrewsbury and just super happy to be there. And I love that about her. What uh what are some I think uh you already mentioned my policeman, especially if we have Katie on for my yeah. policeman. Uh what are some other ones you would greatly look forward to? I think Good Luck to Leo Grand is one. Well because we both like that movie. Here's where I sort of go into my like greater list of like movies we haven't gotten a chance to talk about uh in this episode yet. Um what ones would I be interested in? Good luck to Leo. Good luck to you, Leo Grand. It will be a fun one. I will really enthuse about that. I'm excited to talk about Cha Cha Real Smooth because you really liked that movie at Sundance, and I wouldn't have expected that from you. And that is a movie that got shit on when it <laughs> finally made it down to sea level. And I mean, I think it's a fine movie. I mean, I think that's a movie that 
success at Sundance ultimately hurt it because like not only was it it did it create a show me atmosphere for that movie, but it also like put that movie in a certain type of box. Well, that, like, it wasn't just. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a ceiling to that movie. Sure, you know, considering everything about sure. it, but I think it's operating at that ceiling. But I, pretty much, it's a movie time. I would enjoy like, watching again because I enjoyed watching it the first time. But also, like you mentioned, that like that's a movie that was sort of done in by its own Sundance buzz. It was also done in by the Sundance buzz of its predecessor because it had the unfortunate. uh occasion of following being like the Apple TV plus movie that happened after Coda because killers of the flower moon pieced the fuck out of Oscar year 2022. And all of a sudden cha-cha real smooth is being like, Hey, like here we are. And everybody was like Sundance, uh, Apple, this one. And, and Madola Dargis was there to be like, fuck no. And, um, <laughs> I mean, the, I hear people on their complaints of cha-cha real smooth. People got a I little smug about Cooper like, Rafe, I will say. Doing too much about that movie uh-huh. and yeah, loving I, it. We're also like oh, not doing that movie. I thought you were saying another thing. Like, I think the people who were hating on it were also doing too much. I think there was a lot of performative um, uh, dunking on that movie, and I also think there was a lot of performative. Like this movie is transformative. Like I'm like, who it's was a nice comedy? All right, now is my turn to be like some nice. Things. Now is my turn to be like I never saw any of that because I really I didn't see any of that. Oh, okay, I definitely did for, for i mean it, it just there it, especially for like what the movie was it felt a little cringy sure but um are we excited to talk about a man called otto i'm not not excited to talk about a man called otto if for the rita of it all if nothing else for the rita yes talking about rita wilson absolutely yeah um really thought that she was gonna pull well i did i mean i did I but did. i didn't because if mary steenberg couldn't do it then i guess i think rita, rita wilson and diane warren were in heated competition for that slot and diane unsurprisingly <laughs> pulled it out as she always does but um i think rita diane was warren sent uh suspicious voicemails to rita wilson telling her she was gonna gut her like a fish or something by the way anybody um, who uh thinks that the uh, snub for Taylor Swift and Best Original Song means that we will now get to do an episode on Where the Crawdads Sing, I have very bad news for you. We will not be. That did not have any kind of actual (laughs) Oscar buzz except for that song. And while we technically could do it, it is way the fuck down the list if we ever do. And I don't think we will. Unless unless we have a guest who, like, makes a sincere case for really wanting to do it because we love our guests, then maybe. But um, otherwise... Don't hold your breath for the crawdads, I will say. For the chaos of it, and, like, so few things annoy me than when listeners... I, I love you all, love you all, love you all, but when the people are like, well, that never really did, and it's like, you have to understand, we are talking about the lifespan yes. of a movie. Yes. One I would like to do is the 355. <laughs> I mean, you know I'm not going to say no to the when 355. when that was initially proposed before... Well before the pandemic, because it took them forever to make that piece of shit. <laughs> it was like huge prestige. Mm-hmm. They like announced it at Cannes, and it's like, here's all these actresses. Yeah. We're gonna make this action movie starring girl bosses <laughs> going pew pew, doing spy shit. Um, three Oscar also, winners, right? It? It's it's three Oscar winners, and uh, or is it just Lupita and Jessica? Well, it was supposed to be more because Diane Kruger replaced Marion Cotillard. That's what it was. That's what it was. 
Um, Plus, then we'd like. Was it talk about? Was it Andy or Cullen? One of the Can I Kick It gang was posting in the lead up to. It was one of my favorite things. It was Andy. It was it was Andy. I remember. It was like it's been three three hundred fifty five days since the three fifty five was released. I'm pretty sure it was Andy. Yes. Um, (laughs) It made me so happy. Yes. Um, and it's like one day till it's been 355 days that the 355 was released in theaters. It was good. It was a good bit. Uh, I want to give you a minute. It was so good. I want to give you a minute to enthuse about uh, your beloved decision to leave. Oh, I would love to do decision to leave. I know a lot of our listeners uh, love it. it. I think that would make for a good episode i mean it puts me in the uncomfortable position of having to like shit on a movie that a lot of people not shit on yeah but i i like when we get to have differing opinions on episodes of a movie yeah because i i don't know sometimes i think it's even if it's a movie we like it's not always interesting to listen to just two people say that they love a thing sure, i agree you know, or to listen to two people say they hate it right you know so it, it's, it makes it's the room mix for discussion oh, yeah i agree all right tong way the greatest lead performance of this year sure um what else i love your list is really it's honestly the emily, emily the criminal episode would be very good because i think that movie's awards uh trajectory was really interesting. One of the other things about me doing the vulture, we would end up talking about the White Lotus. I yeah. see that's an episode where I would sound like the Grouch. Oh, you did not care for Emily the Criminal. I don't understand why. I mean, I think it's fine. Yeah, I think I think it's at quite every good. point that it could be more than it than the movie is. I think it dodges that and it stays. I think it's quite never good. more interesting than it. It, it could it could be a movie that is way more interesting than it is, and I think it's blessed to have those two performers in it. As somebody who hasn't seen Stars at Noon yet, is that a, is, will that be a fun episode for us to do, or will that be a slog? I think. Um, I mean, if you want to hear me grandstand about that movie, we could talk about that can because actually last yeah. year's can is really interesting in terms of Oh, you of just reminded me I, we can do the can but, pool again. I'm excited to do that again. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see how that yeah. goes. Um sorry listeners, we'll that was that's that's us that's inside baseball. That's just us doing uh, it for fun. You know, maybe you should make it year long uh no fuck no no because Triangle of Sadness. I need a break. Uh, I need a goddamn break. Everyone who dra- did I win the can pool or was I second place? You won the can pool. I won the camera. Yeah, you Sweet. did. Yes. Love that. Yeah. Love that for me. Um, and. Yeah, you won the can I mean, pool because like, like months later you were like, you still haven't paid me for the can pool. And I fully thought that I already had. Oh. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> oh, boy. Pay me, bitch. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love Stars at Noon. Um, I think you would probably like it more than you think you would. Okay. But like. I mean, it's a noir. Like, yeah, I don't ever feel smart enough to talk about those movies. Yeah. So, I also think, like, again, when you talk about like buzz in the context of like you have to look at the whole picture, um, we'll drag Katie onto a Stars at Noon episode because she's the one who predicted it. In, oh in yeah, you're ahead, Vanity Fair. Pool. I was also thinking of though in that vein, uh, Ticket to Paradise, which like at some point there was no realistic Oscar buzz, but they're like. I'm still kind of surprised that, like, neither Clooney nor Julia Roberts got a Golden Globe nomination for Best uh, Performance in a Musical right. or a Comedy. Um, a movie that is, like, decidedly pleasant. Ol' Parker has done better. I will say that. Ol' Parker, uh, 
has done better than Ticket to Paradise, but I certainly didn't hate it. I haven't seen it yet. Chris, we're not going to do Pearl. I see it's on your list. Neither one of us wants to talk about Pearl. I just I put everything in there that I'm was glad you like conceivably yeah. an option. We are not doing Pearl. I, I don't want to watch it again. You don't want to watch it again. I think we're fine. I think we're good. I, I was just like, this is... You d- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This Okay, this is also slightly our mini Pearl episode. Oh, God. Straight men should not be allowed not to men. do what they think is Cirque tribute. <laughs> it is not good Cirque tribute. Everybody that was like, it's like, it's like subversive Cirque. I was like, we have John Waters for that. This, the Pearl is so... <laughs> I'm just going to make people mad at me. Yeah, you are. When people were like, she's so amazing. She really is bold and going for it. I was like, fully Maya Rudolph to what end? Like, I wasn't entertained. I didn't think it was funny. That movie isn't even like... I, I don't know if it's trying to be scary. I, I just don't think it does much. Like, I just think it's all like... It's... It's all artifice and the artifice is bad. The movie also looks like shit. Like it also is an incredibly predictable movie. Like you can guess where it's going like yeah. miles ahead of everything it does. And mm-hmm. um I like Mia Goth in general. I think the I do too. The the ways people talk about Mia Goth in that movie I don't feel connected to. <laughs> but um It makes me feel like I'm in the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Like Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't have to talk about it anymore. It's fine. Um, do we want to have... Is there, like, one last movie we can, like, go out on talking about that, like, we're excited to talk about? Catherine Called Birdie is going to be a fun movie. That'll be... I would like to have a guest that we love come on and talk about Catherine Called Birdie with us, because I think yeah, that is... In a few years. Yes, in a few years. I loved Catherine Called Birdie. Me too. I have to say. Me too. I had two Lena Dunham supporting actors on my back. Uh, you're, you're crazy for that one. <laughs> Andrew Scott and Catherine Called Birdie, and the incredible Scott Speedman and Sharpstick. I liked a the... A movie that I have complicated feelings about. I liked that I was able to bookend my year with... Uh, Sharpstick in January that I hated so much, and Catherine Called Birdie, which I watched towards the end of December, that I quite, quite loved. And um, my year of this, my year of dicks, uh, but also my year of Dunham, and it really just traversed uh, the entire gamut of uh, hate into love. And I guess that's... Catherine Called Birdie is really wonderful. Yeah, and Bella Ramsey. Also really wonderful and Catherine Call Birdie is currently killing it on The Last of Us and uh high recommendation to watch that. So I'm just I'm I'm just biding my time until people aren't talking about that show. I just Why? don't give a fucking shit. Why? What is your problem? What is your problem with uh with with that? I mean, it just looks exactly to me like I know that I I'm probably pissing so many people off, but like it just looks like another retreat of Walking Dead, it's not Game the, of Thrones it's not Game type of, Thrones. of TV it's not. that I just think is an. Uh, no, listen, not everything's for everybody, but I will just say I. Yeah. I did not. Everything has to be for. Everybody. I have not enthused about the Walking Dead this way, and much as I enjoyed House of the Dragon, uh, I know smart this is people better. love Last of Us. Like, it's quite. There are smart people that think it's amazing. It's like quite good, you. is what I will say. It's just, it is of a vein that I sure. will just never... You will also, if you watch The Last of Us, you will never stop 
worrying about the eventual fungal apocalypse that wa- that awaits us all. And yeah, I'm not a hypochondriac in that way. Oh, see, welcome to welcome to this Marwin right here. Uh, this- <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Are you, are you after years of very close friendship telling me that you are a hypochondriac? Um, uh, didn't know this. It's shocking to you. Check every text that I've ever very sent you. Shocking Check to every me. text message. Um, yes, yes, yes. I will just do a Google search, or not a Google of search. Of brain tumor? I will just do some type of search within our text history mm. of, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> of, am I dying, question mark? Yeah. 376 results. <laughs> All right, let's close this up. Let's, uh, let's, let's shut the book on this for, uh, for the year. I feel a brain tumor right. coming on. Listeners, we apologize if we forgot to mention uh, any of the, uh, you know, class of 2023 that you, uh, or the class of 2022, Uh, the class of 2022 that you are hoping to hear us talk about. The list mentioned in this episode is not, uh, you know, definitive. There are uh, other things as well, but at least for now. That's our episode. If you want more of this had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this had Oscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and on Instagram at this had Oscar Buzz. <coughs> Joe, where can the listeners find you and send you WebMD search results? <laughs> Don't send me WebMD search results. I will block you and report you. Um, I am on Twitter at Joe Reed and on Letterboxd also at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R E I D in both of those cases. And I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Christy File. That is F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with pop. Uh, Apple Podcast visibility. So please do send those WebMD results to Joseph Reed, especially the most insane ones, so we can hopefully trial by fire uh, break that habit, but also send him some love Locking. and send us some Locking. love with a nice review. Uh, that's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye. Bye.